The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. Well, good evening, church. How you guys doing? Doing blessed. I mean, aren't you blessed? You watch the rest of the country, 75% of the U.S. is under snow right now, and we have to put a light jacket on. I mean, really, that's as bad as it gets here, so... Anyway, well, welcome to church. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Tonight, we finish up our series, Walking in the Promises of God. Way back in chapter one, we uh, reminded ourselves of a promise God made to Joshua and the people of Israel. Uh, Every place the sole of your foot walks upon, that have I given to you. And the physical act of walking in the land was a, a tangible sign of claiming the promises of God. And I pray over the last several weeks, months that we've been looking at this book, that you've been challenged because it's a book of great challenge, but also encouraged as well that this is a God that we serve. The same God that fought and showed himself strong on behalf of Joshua and the children of Israel is the same God who wants to fight and show himself strong on behalf of all those who trust in him. He's a promise-keeping God. Now, we have a part to play. We have to believe. We have to step out. We have to get out of the boat, as it were. We have to actually, at times, put our, our feet to faith, you know, step out and actually do something. But at the end of the day, we remember and remind and are challenged that the God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just a reminder, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our first worship night that we've had in a very long time, so we'll be praying to that, the first Wednesday night of March. And as we finish this series, we uh, will quickly begin a new series in the book of Ezra. So if you are one of those who likes to read ahead and so you're not just showing up without knowing what's going on, read the book of Ezra. It's right before Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra tells the story of the children of Israel coming back from exile. Uh, Daniel and I were praying, and uh, one of the words of the year for Maranatha is restoration, and the book of Ezra is all about restoration. It's about God restoring his people to the land. It's about God restoring the people themselves and ultimately the word of God in the midst of the people. So it's an incredible book. It's a challenging book, and I believe a very practical, timely book for us to go through right now. Well, Joshua chapter 24 we come to the final message of Joshua, his final sermon, and that's exactly what we're reading tonight. We're listening to the sermon that the leader Joshua gave to the tribes, to the people of Israel. And so as he preaches this sermon, he's not just preaching it to them. He's preaching it to us tonight. We don't just simply come for a book report. I hope you're not here just to get a history lesson. If you've come for that, man, you've been mistaken Uh, You've come tonight, I pray, to be open and hear and receive what the Spirit of God wants to say prophetically, personally, practically, powerfully tonight. The sermon that was recorded then is just as powerful and real today. In fact, the challenge that we see he gave, man, it's a great challenge, a challenge that all of us need to hear and receive and respond to tonight. Pick up with me actually in verse 24, excuse me, verse 14, and we'll read through 24, and then we'll kind of go back and summarize the rest of the chapter. We actually came right into the, the heart and the climax of the, of the message here in verse 14. But Joshua says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, the river Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, 
And I love this. But as for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen to that. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice, we will obey. Father, we just thank you so much for this night. Oh man, worship was amazing, God. The presence of the spirit of God. Lord, we could just feel your presence here tonight. You are worthy of all of our worship. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would speak. Lord, this really is in many ways just a one point message. You're calling us to a place of decision, a place of action to realize the choice that is constantly set before us. And so, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and that speak to our minds and get into our hearts and ultimately move upon our wills, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was Anne Frank. Perhaps some of you remember reading about the diary of Anne Frank. She said something very powerfully. She says, our lives are fashioned by our choices. We make our choices, and then our choices make us. We make our choices and then our choices turn around and make us. When you think about it, really all of life is a series of choices. Every day you get up and you start making choices. Do I want to get out of bed? Do I want to take a shower now? Do I have coffee first? Am I going to have a second cup? Maybe a third cup. It's going to be one of those days of fourth cup. I don't, every day we have choices. Am I going to wear this outfit? Am I going to do this? Am I going to text? Am I going to go on this app? Do I like that photo? On and on we go. There's choices constantly around us. And the choices that we make determine the course of today's actions. But when we stop and think about it, if we are willing to think about it, the choices that we make really affect not only today, they affect this week, next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade. They, they affect our lives. Now, I want to say to you tonight, I think some of us are aware of this, the world around us, you know, the Bible says the world is actually uh, at enmity with God. It's actually at war with you. The world around us and the system is anti-Christ, it's anti-God. It's doing everything it can to distract you. And Satan behind it all is trying everything it can to distract you to really keep you focused on maybe the little choices, the, the seemingly uh, mundane choices. And that's all that we ever tend to focus on, these choices that distract us. Those choices do have an effect, but oftentimes they keep us from the big choices that we have to make or we think eventually we'll get around to making in life. But I want to say to you tonight, every choice that you make, big or small, the ones that you don't think you have to make now, we'll see tonight, every choice is before us and the ultimate choice is something that we all must make. And whether you've made it or not, I want to say to you tonight, you've made it. And all those choices really are going to be the sum of your life. They'll dictate how you experience the present. 
They'll, they'll dictate your future. Listen, they will ultimately dictate your eternity. And the one choice that Joshua puts before us tonight is the most critical choice that everybody must make. Life is about choices. Some of the choices we regret, some we're proud of, some will haunt us forever, and some we share with others and say, hey, make this choice. Joshua tonight is one of those people who says, hey, make this choice that I've made. This is one choice I do not regret. This is one choice that I've made that you must make. And what we have tonight is Joshua, as I mentioned, his final sermon, his final words. Daniel did a great job last week in the second to last message that Joshua ever gave. He gave it to his leaders. And in many ways, this is now the third time, in a sense, Joshua is giving the same message. Back in chapter 22, he gave it to the tribes that were going back to the other side of the Jordan. Last week, he gave it to the key leaders in Israel. But this message tonight was a message that he gave to the entire tribes, all the peoples of Israel. This was the last thing that he wanted to say. This was the message that was burning on his heart. And we read it and when we look at it, it's actually very similar to the very final message that his mentor Moses gave. Moses gave the very same message. Oh, the words were a little bit different, but the same point was the same. When Moses said, choose this day, I've set before you cursings and blessings, life and death. Moses would say, choose life. Well, Joshua, really, like I said, there's a lot of sermons sometimes that inform us, that instruct us, that have lots of points. And some messages just move for a decision. That's Joshua's sermon. It's moving us to make a decision, to be aware of our decision. And though I'm going to have a few points tonight, I want to say essentially, it's a one-point sermon. There was one point that Joshua was trying to drive home to Israel. There's one point ultimately that God is uh, driving home into our hearts tonight. Choose this day whom you will serve. There's a choice before us, life or death, blessings or cursing. Choose whom you'll serve. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. Joshua gets up, and I believe as he preached this message, there was an old Puritan who said this. When he, every time he got into the pulpit, he says, I preached as a dying man to dying men as if I'd never preach again. That was the kind of passion he had. Well, Joshua, that, that's literally true. At this point, Joshua is a dying man, and he's preaching, as it were, his final message, and he's preaching with everything in him to bring to this point that we would make this choice to serve the Lord. Now, it says here in verse 1 uh, where this event took place, and it's significant. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers, and everybody presented themselves before the Lord. Shechem is significant. There's a lot of key places in the Holy Land, in Israel, but Shechem was the place where God first revealed himself, where God first made the promise to Abraham. Over 450 years, 400 or so years earlier, God came to Abraham, their forefathers, and on that very plot of ground, God made a promise that said, Abraham, I will bless you. I will give you this land to your descendants. And so it isn't a coincidence. When, sometimes when we look at some of these places and names, we're kind of, oh, that's cool, Shechem, all right. But if we dig a little bit, we realize, oh, wow, Shechem. They would have been very aware of the moment where they were at. The final words, they're actually standing on the place where the promise was given so many years earlier. The very same piece of dirt. Again, their feet were standing on it. Their feet were touching the very plot of ground that Abraham had walked just a few hundred years earlier. Chapter 22 is a message really about where God was to be worshipped. Only at the temple, if you remember that sermon. 
Last week, Daniel did a great job. And really, the, the focus of that message was how God was to be worshiped, total obedience. Again, tonight, we see that same theme. But the real center tonight isn't how or where, but it's who. Who will you serve? Who are you worshiping? Who is the one who has your affections? Who has your heart? Who has your allegiance? Who has your worship? Well, the first thing we see is we're going to kind of make our way through this passage tonight. Like I said, it's kind of really driving home one point. And we'll talk about the choices that we make. But the first thing that we need to see is this. God chooses you before you choose him. Some of you have never really thought about that before. You thought, well, I just chose God. I heard it and I chose him. But actually, the Bible says over and over again that before any of us ever choose him, he chooses us. And that's exactly what we see here in this message. You see, verse 14, we see a very key word. And for some of you who are learning how to be Bible students and some of you more seasoned students, you know there's a key word here to help you understand. It's the word therefore. I remember my first day in Bible college and in my Bible interpretation class, that was one of the words they highlighted to me. Like, listen, there's all kinds of principles, but this is one thing you want to pay attention to, that word therefore. Because anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? <laughs> So it connects to what's gone on before. Joshua makes his great point, but it's a pivoting point. It's a hinge point. He says, therefore, now do this. Well, therefore, what? Well, that's what we see in the first few verses. Joshua begins his message. And listen, he's like a lawyer. You know, a good lawyer, he's like pacing and he presents his case. And he lays out the facts. He lays out the evidence. And he draws the audience in and the jurors are listening. Well, that's what Joshua's doing. He's a good preacher. He lays out the facts before he makes an appeal to faith. Before he says, choose whom you will serve, he presents his case. And listen, it's an airtight case. And so once he's laid it out, then he makes his appeal. Then he makes his, okay, therefore do this. So what does he say? Well, I'll try to make my way quickly through this. But notice, he says this, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Verse 5, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out, and I'll pause there. If you're paying attention, something happened there. And it was Joshua and how he spoke. A few things happened. Joshua here is not speaking in the third person. He's not saying God did this, God did that. But Joshua is speaking here prophetically. Joshua is speaking in the first person of God. He says, thus says the Lord. And Joshua begins to preach a message. And really what he's declaring is he's a mouthpiece for God speaking to his people. Because over and over what we hear is Joshua didn't do these things. No, God did these things. And so Joshua is giving this message, but it's a prophetic message. And 17 times, when you look at these verses, verse 2 to verse 13, God is speaking. 17 times God says, I gave, I sent, I provided, I fought, I chose, on and on and on. What we see here is God is the one who initiates. God is the one who begins and makes the first move. And not just the first move, God really is one over and over and over. And so before the appeal for you, me, for Israel to choose, it's important that we realize, no, God is the one who first chooses. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Now, it's interesting. When we think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sometimes we get this 
idea. And it's a false idea that somehow God chose them because they were better, distinct. There was some kind of quality in their life that made them different than all the other people. But what we see here, God's saying, I chose Abraham, son of Nahor and Terah. They were amongst the people who worshiped other gods. Now, we don't know all the details about Abraham, but it's more than likely most people believe he probably worshiped all the other gods too. But at some point, we don't know how or why, but we do know this, is that God chose Abraham. God showed grace. That's what the Bible says over and over. God says, there's a man whom I love. There's a man who I'm going to call. There's a man whom I'm choosing to be my own. And we don't know when that exactly happened. We read about it in Genesis 12 when Abraham responds and obeys. But somewhere along the way, God says, there's a man that I love. And over and over, we read in the, in the Old Testament and the New, we're never told why God chooses, but we see over and over the fact that he does. There's a passage in Deuteronomy when God's telling the children of Israel why he chose them. He says, I've loved you because I love you. <laughs> You're like, okay, here's the answer. Why does he love them? And we think, oh, because they were, they were more holy or they were more righteous. No, actually, when you study the Old Testament, man, they were, they were messed up just like we were. In many ways, God chose them as a trophy of his grace. He's like, I'm going to choose the, you know, the most stiff-necked people. That's what God says to show my amazing grace. And when you look at the life of Abraham, no, there's some incredible things to admire. There's, there's great faith. But you also know there's some really big sins as well. Twice he said, oh, yeah, my wife, she's actually my sister. I don't know how you ladies would appreciate that if your husband, because he was afraid of his own life, would say, ah, yeah, this is my sister. Go ahead and take her. You don't do whatever you want. Okay. But yes, this is the man, uh, you know, the Bible says, is the father of faith. No, he certainly had faith and he did trust. And there were great moments but of, of great things, but also cringeworthy moments. The point is that God chose him. Yes. Now, ultimately, God chose him. And, and here's the point we'll get to. Abraham had to turn around and choose God. And it's, it's both. And for some of you, you, when you first come to the Lord, you, you don't really think about that. Maybe you didn't know that. Some of you, you might. But at some point, every believer realizes, you know what? I thought I was the one who had to decide, but before I decided, I've been, you realize you've been decided upon. Meaning at some point, just like you have a choice, God gets a choice and he chooses. Now, the great mystery is who does he choose? You know, listen, how do you know if you're chosen? You choose him and you'll know that you're chosen. <laughs> but the point is that, and what Joshua is making here is God chose you. God provided, God fought, God gave, God has done all of these things. He goes on to describe the Exodus and the Red Sea and how God protected them from Balaam and his attempts to curse, on and on. Even when they weren't even aware of what was going on, God did so many things. Listen, that alone would be enough to move us to faith, but I'd want you tonight to think about your own life. Because I think about this, this is a message. He's not preaching to pagans. He's not preaching to people who don't know God. He's preaching to, to make it and to bring about a decision to people who claim to know God. And so tonight I, I preach to a room that I'm assuming the vast majority of you believe in God. You claim to be a follower of God. And maybe there's a few of you, you wouldn't say that's true. You're here checking things out and I'm so glad. But the message to you tonight would be this. Think about what God has done in your own life. The answered prayers. Think about perhaps when you first got saved and where your life was at. The miry clay, the gunk, the junk, like David would say, you were in the pits and God reached down and saved you. 
Think about the answered prayer. Think about all the times that God has been faithful. You see, the appeal to choose is based upon God's past choosing, God's past faithfulness. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's in your notes, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose you. How do you know that he chose you? Well, you choose him and you'll find out he chose you. And we could do a whole other message on that, but I'm going to kind of move on. But I think the, the importance here, that's the foundation. The appeal to faith is based on evidence. It's based on God's past faithfulness. It's based on, you know, things that you can actually see and touch and go, oh, he did this, he did this, he did that. Therefore, choose him, trust him, lean into him, put your faith and obedience in him. Think about it in your own life. Jesus, oftentimes when, when people were tempted to worry and stuff, he didn't just say, well, just believe. Well, there was times that we're exhorted to believe, but he also said, hey, consider the lilies of the field, how they neither toil or sleep that your father takes care of them. I know at times in my life when I have a crisis of faith or I'm a doubting, you know, a bit of doubting in faith, sometimes I say, Lord, just I, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And there's times when the Lord would say to me, he'd say to some of us, yeah. And one of the things that we can do is to consider, to stop, to think, yeah, what God, has God done? Because it motivates, it, it, it changes your thinking. It reminds you, oh yeah, this is what God has done. So first, that's where we start. God chooses before we choose. Now we have to choose just like Abraham did, which leads us to the next point. The next point is this, you must make a choice. Every single person who has ever lived and whoever will live, every person who breathes, it's a choice every single person makes. Whether you realize it or not, the choice to serve God is a choice that we all make. If it's a choice that you're saying, I'm putting it off for another time, that's fine, but we'll see tonight. Realize this, you've made your choice. Now, you may be able to change that choice down the road, but by putting it off, you have made your choice. Every single person that God has created has a choice. God has made us in his image. You've been made in his image and after his likeness. You're a self-determinant being. You've been given free choice, the power to choose. God respects that. Sometimes I wish I didn't have a free choice. Let me be honest with you. Sometimes I wish, Lord, I know my heart. It's so messed up. Could you just like take it so I never turn and backslide from you ever again? And God says, yeah, you know, trust in me, lean in me. It's about a real relationship, though. I can't take your free will from you. If you lean into me, if you trust in me, I'll, I'll encourage you, I'll strengthen you. But listen, real love always has a choice. God wants real love with each and every one of you, so he gives you a choice. And every day we have the opportunity to make a choice, to choose him or not. And to me, the most reasonable thing is to choose the Lord. And really, that's what Joshua is saying. Guys, 17 times I brought, I gave, I destroyed, I delivered, I did this, I fulfilled every promise. Now, therefore, Romans chapter 12 is one of my favorite verses, verse one. And I like how the King James actually put that. It's one of the few times I'm like, I really like the King James version. I beseech. How many of you have beseeched anybody this week? Anybody? I don't know. I beseech, I implore, I plead with you, Paul says, therefore, brethren, sisters, by the mercies of God that you present, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. One of the translations says your logical service. If you've ever studied the book of Romans, chapter 12 comes after 11 chapters of everything God has done for us, how he chose us, how he's forgiven us, how he's redeemed us, how he's made promises. Chapter 12 then responds, again, that keyword, therefore. 
in light of all that God has done in your life. I would say to you tonight, if Joshua's standing here, guys, the most reasonable thing you can do is to say yes to him. Paul says the same thing. The, the most logical thing for you to do is to say yes. The most unreasonable thing, the most illogical thing that you can do, that I can do, that sadly we do, is to say no, not yet, some other time. It really is irrational to say no, to serve some other thing. You're making a choice. There's no straddling the fence. Like I said, tonight's a night of a message. It's not as, you know, maybe insightful. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how we would make assumptions and how do we deal with relationships and things. Tonight really is just about getting into our hearts and will. That's the, that's the heart of the message. There's no straddling the fence. There's no in-between. There's no, like Jesus would say, place of being lukewarm. There's no neutrality. Listen, there's no Switzerland when it comes to God. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either for me or you're against me. Some of you would say, well, I'm not against Jesus. I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, I believe in him generally. I, I like his teachings. I don't know that I'm necessarily for him in all ways. I'm still trying to figure it out. And hey, I'm glad that you're here with an open mind. I pray in an open heart. But know this, he says, if you're not for him, you are in fact against him. You can admire him, but if you don't, believe in him and put your trust and allegiance in him, ultimately you're antagonistic against him. Every single one of us has a choice to make. And you're saying, well, I'm going to make that choice in a few weeks, a few months, in a few years. I've got a few things to do in life. Listen, you've made your choice and you're making your choice. Not making a choice is still choosing. Indecision is a decision. Can you think or could you imagine, uh, you know, it's allowing procrastination and apathy to kind of rule your life. It happens so often. They're major killers. But could you imagine like a quarterback on a football team? He gets the ball hiked to him, and all of a sudden he's apathetic. Oh, yeah. Or he's like procrastinating or he's indecisive. Ah, I don't know. He's going to get killed, right? And there's a lot of people who are lulled into kind of apathy or procrastination. Man, the enemy's after. You're going to get killed. You're going to get wiped out. That, that, that's not going to cut it. The writers of Proverbs says this, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Man, we always think, oh, I've got more time. I've got more time. I've got more time. Listen, you and I have both know people who they thought had more time until they didn't. We always think, oh, I'm going to have more time. You never know when your time is up. Listen again, this message is not for the person who doesn't know God. This message was given to people who know God. This message is for us tonight who say, yes, I believe in God. I have faith in God. But are you serving him? Are you making that choice? Is he number one in your life? Because to choose him, the next thing, the next point is this. To choose God means total commitment. The choice for God is a choice of total commitment. Why do I say that? There's several things that Joshua says, but he says it a few times. He says, if you're going to serve the Lord, one of the things you have to do, he says, you got to put away the gods. Put away all other gods. He says it here. He says it again in verse um, 22. After the, well, No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And he says, fine, then put away the gods. Think about that for a moment. This is the, these are the children of Israel. These are the people of God. 
They've been delivered out of Egypt. They've been miraculously provided for for 40 years in the wilderness. They've just experienced great miracles, the walls of Jericho falling down, everything they could see, God over and over doing this and that and the other, and they still have gods. You're like, no, are you serious? Why would he say that unless he was aware that in the middle of all this, they were still duplicitous? Well, we, we, we believe in God, but we've got kind of a few things on the side here. We love God and we, you know, kind of worship and serve these other gods too. They're, they're beneficial, whatever else. After all this time, they still had gods amongst them. And Joshua has to say, put away these gods. What are you doing? Get rid of them. The call to choose and to follow God is a call of total commitment. And some of us tonight might be tempted to go, man, that's just so stupid. I can't even believe those Israelites. You seriously carried around those statues of Baal and Asherah? You had little emblems of Ra from Egypt that you were really still believing and carrying around with you all that time? Oh my gosh, they're just ignorant. They were so stupid. Well, let's not be so quick to point the finger and call them stupid because the reality is we may not have Baal and Molech and this and that and the other, but we have gods the same. We have things that compete for our worship, our time, our treasure, our talent. What, what are you giving your, your thought process to all the time? What are you giving your money to all the time? What are you giving all of your attention to? Well, there's all kinds of gods. We may not have a, a little statue. Maybe you do, I don't know. If you do, get rid of it. <laughs> but listen, we all have gods. We all have little idols. We all have things that we think we have to have. And if we get them, they'll complete us. They'll make us. They'll do whatever. Listen, to serve the Lord means we put away all other gods. We shall have no other gods before the one true God. Think about this. You know, if I, if I said to Annie, my wife, I love you the most, she would turn around and say, you better love me only. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people like, I love you the most, God, and I got to love these other things. I love you. You're number one. Well, there'd not be better, number two or three, there, there, no other gods. I love you and you alone, God. I serve you and you alone. And tonight I would trust that the Holy Spirit would speak to your mind and your heart to make it personal to you. As you leave here tonight, as you sit here, maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable or something comes to your mind. God has a way of pointing the fingers in our hearts, the, the gods, the rivals for his affection and attention in our life. Why? Because like Joshua said, God's a jealous God. He's not jealous like, oh, I don't know if they're going to love me or not. No, he's jealous for you because he knows those things will destroy you. They'll eat you up. They'll rob, steal, and absolutely destroy you. So many people are afraid to really commit because their gods are comfort. Their gods are security. Their gods are eh, not yet. There's a lot of people, and I wonder if you're here tonight, are you serving the Lord completely and totally? And I'm not just talking about a ministry. Hopefully there's a ministry you're serving him, but are you serving him in all ways of your life? In the reality, this entire life is about parts of us being sanctified and changed so that we totally and completely serve him. But are you serving him? Are you serving him by the things that you watch? The things that you listen to? Are you serving him in the way that you spend your money, the people you hang out with? Are you serving him by the people that you love around you? Are, are you serving him or like, ah, oh, I'll get around to it. But career, comfort, relationship, all those other things, are they more important? You see, there's a lot of people. In fact, churches are filled with people who have deceived themselves, who think that they're serving God. 
They think they're serving God, and I, I say this to myself at times, because they sit in a message, maybe somebody's here tonight, and you sit in a message, and it resonates with you. Something inside says, yes, that makes sense. Yes, I believe in that. And churches are filled with a lot of people who have a worldview that's kind of being shaped by God, and yet it stops there. And there's a lot of people who equate the fact that it resonates. I believe that that's true, that somehow that's enough. And so there's a lot of people who come and they hear, but they never do. They hear, but they're never changed. They're stirred. It resonates. Yes, I believe. Amen. But then you leave here. They leave the, the place. They leave the Bible study, and they, they never really put it into practice. The, the service actually never happens. There's never any action. And like the book of James says, we're hearers only, and we deceive ourselves. We're not really serving him. There's a lot of people who think, yeah, I'm serving the Lord because I, I believe in him generally. I resonate with him. I resonate with what the Bible says. Yes, I'm stirred. But then you never take the next step and say, Lord, like Joshua, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put it into action. I remember hearing a, a pretty funny illustration by Francis Chan years ago, and he was talking about there's a lot of Christians who, who kind of resonate. They get excited. And he was talking about how there's a lot of Christians who love Bible study, and they highlight in green and blue, and they know this, and they study the Greek. And he gave this a great example of you know, parents with their kids. And a parent saying this to their kids, I want you to go clean your room. And then the kid came back and said, Dad, guess what? I memorized what you said. I will go clean my room. That's great. But did you clean your room? No. But I memorized it. That's good. OK. Go clean your room. Come back. Dad, I, I just want you to know, I memorized it. And I know what the word means in Greek. Cleaneo. It means to clean, to pick up. Isn't that awesome, Dad? That's great. But did you actually go clean and pick up the room? No. And I think there's a lot of Christians like that. We, 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 listen, I, I love, I get geeked out. I love to study it. There's things that, that fascinate me and my, stimulate my mind. But at the end of the day, I have to realize it can't just stay there. We have to put it into action. It can't just resonate. There has to come a place where I go, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to step into this. Well, finally, the last point we see here is this is a choice that we have to make every day. This is a choice we have to make every day. Listen to what Joshua says here. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen to the tense there. He says, we will, future tense. In fact, the, the tense in the, in the Hebrew was a, a, a tense of action. And what Joshua was saying was this, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I have chosen to serve Yahweh. The tense is, I am today, this day, I am choosing to serve the Lord. And he says, I am going to go on choosing to serve the Lord. That's what he's saying. So there has to come a moment in everyone's life when you say yes. That, that moment of salvation, it's a definitive moment where you say, yes, I believe, I trust, I will serve you. But what I want to say to us tonight, so it moves beyond just simply resonating to action, it's something we have to do every single day. We have to be like Joshua. Joshua gladly says, I look around. He knew his, his kids. He knew his wife. They, they were serving the Lord. He could speak to them. We're going to serve the Lord. We know God is worth it. We know he's chosen us. He's given to us. He's protected us. He's provided for us. We are going to serve the Lord. Joshua says this as a man who has lived a long time. And for Joshua, he says, I'm going to keep on going. There's, it's never been one day that I've regretted this decision. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Every day, Every day I challenge you, before you get out of bed, I've been trying to do that. Today, before I even got out of bed, I said, Lord, I choose you this day. I choose to serve you. 
Holy Spirit, fill me because I cannot do this. I'm out of time. But Joshua even says that to the people. He challenges them. And he says, they're like, we will serve. And Joshua says something goes, you can't serve the Lord. They said, oh, no, we'll do it. Perhaps Joshua knew they were glib. Perhaps Joshua realized they hadn't really thought through what they were doing. They certainly still had the gods. That's why he says, put them away. But I think Joshua knew what we ultimately know is that we can't do it on our own. We have to make the choice. We have free will. Oh, but we need the Spirit of God to do it. We need the Holy Spirit every single day. Before you get out of bed tomorrow, say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I choose you today, but I need you. Give me a passion for Jesus. Give me a passion for your will. Give me strength to obey this day. I choose you, Lord. I know you've chosen me. I don't want to wander. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall. I choose you. Like a wedding, when you, when you go to a wedding, you're, you're witnessing vows. You're not just there to celebrate present love. If that was all that it is, and in fact, that's how a lot of the world is. Oh, we love each other today. I don't know about tomorrow. But no, what, what, what you're actually witnessing are vows that are made, right? The, the pastor, the officiant says, will you have and to hold from this day forward? You know, I will. There's a declaration. Yes, I will. It's a future thing. I'm going to do this. And when the vows are made for better, for worse, for sickness and poor, what you're witnessing, and if you're getting married, what you're doing is not only the promise, listen, of present love, it's actually the promise of future love. And that's the way a marriage can only ever work. In the same way, in even a greater way, in our relationship with God, God has promised future love to us. I have loved you with an everlasting love, he says. And so like Joshua, we have to say, Lord, I will serve you. I'll serve you today. I'll serve you tomorrow. And by your grace, I will serve you for the next billion and billion years, Lord, if you'll have me. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Lastly, it closes, and I, we don't have time to, but basically records three funerals of, of Joshua, Eliezer, and Joseph and his burial. But it's, again, it's about God's faithfulness. And I'll just say this and let you read it. It says, and Joshua died at 110 years old. And the title was Joshua, the servant of the Lord. I love that. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. And God blessed and forever honored his servant with that title, Joshua, the servant of the Lord. Today, Make a choice. You say, I'm going to make it tomorrow. Well, you're making your choice. But tonight, for all of us, choose this day whom you will serve. And then tomorrow, choose that day whom you will serve. And the day after, every day, say, Lord, I want to serve you. There's nothing else in life that, that I would rather do than to know that I'm serving you. Father, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the story and testimony of Joshua. We thank you that you've recorded this sermon our hearts are stirred. We want to say like Joshua, as for me, as for me, as for me in my house, I will, we will serve the Lord. And by your grace, by your spirit, Lord, we know we can do it. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.